Welcome to World Footprints Radio, the show where we celebrate responsible travel, culture, and heritage. Featuring your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Now, World Footprints Radio. Today, we're traveling to the town where the course of America was changed forever and sharing some fresh perspectives on the history and the people from that era that's mostly been untold. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to World Footprints, the leading voice in socially responsible travel and lifestyle. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick, and along with my husband, Ian, we're commemorating the 150th anniversary of the Battle of Gettysburg, which took place the first week of July in 1863. Thanks, dear. On today's show, we bring front and center the 150th anniversary commemoration of the American Civil War. As Gettysburg, the nation and the world reflect upon the Battle of Gettysburg, which took place from July 1st to July 3rd, 1863, we preview what visitors can expect to see and experience during the commemoration and beyond the battlefield with Stacy Fox of the Gettysburg Convention and Visitors Bureau. We have this amazing museum opening July 1 at the Seminary Ridge, which will feature some things that have never been discussed here in Gettysburg. We also have downtown walking tours that have come to light over the last few years. Plus, Scott Hanson. Hancock, professor of history and Africana studies at Gettysburg College, joins us to discuss the role the Underground Railroad played in the war, the African-American struggle for freedom from President Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address to Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech and the seminal events that took place in Gettysburg in 1863 that forever changed America. Because uh, freedom and ending slavery becomes an important part of what the North and the Union and Lincoln want to accomplish out of the war. The Battle of Gettysburg, I think, is is critical and part of that process. Finally, Deborah Sando McCausland of For the Cause Gettysburg Histories takes us along the Underground Railroad in Adams County, Pennsylvania, where we'll visit Yellow Hill and the Quaker Valley to uncover the history of African-American families who settled in the area and learn about the role of Quakers in the abolitionist movement there. Cyrus paid $100 to help Kitty Payne get defended in Virginia court after she was kidnapped from Bear Mountain in 1845. Kitty had been a slave in Virginia, manumitted by her owner, lived here freely for two years. Five men kidnapped her and her three children in the middle of the night. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. And I'm Ian Fitzpatrick, and this is World Footprints. Visit and connect with us at worldfootprints.com. With the 150th anniversary of the Civil War upon us, there's no better time to reflect upon the past about the role Gettysburg played in shaping our nation's history and to look to the future as Gettysburg is set to welcome a multitude to its sacred and hallowed grounds. From the commemoration of the 150th anniversary of the Battle of Gettysburg next month to the 150th anniversary of President Lincoln's Gettysburg Address in November, Gettysburg will be front and center. And with the opening of the Seminary Ridge Museum July 1st, there has never been a better time to visit Gettysburg. Here to tell us all about this and more is Stacy Fox, Vice President of Marketing and Sales for the Gettysburg Convention and Visitors Bureau. Stacy, welcome to World Footprints. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. The summer's always a busy time for visiting Gettysburg. How excited is the community this year with the bevy of sesquicentennial events slated for the next few days, weeks, and months to come? Oh, we're not just excited. We're honored because it is an opportunity to not only host this historic event, but to make history and allow people to be part of the history that's going to be created because of some of the amazing events and activities planned. 
Now, I know that for history buffs like myself and Tanya, Gettysburg never tires. And for visitors who have not been to Gettysburg in the past few years, a lot's changed. Uh, there's a new Gettysburg Museum and Visitor Center uh, at the National Military Park, which houses the beautifully restored cyclorama. Talk to us about some of the new things that await visitors when they come to Gettysburg this year. Well, in addition to that location that opened up a few years ago, the David Wills House also opened up in the last few years, which is a national park property. And that looks at David Wills, who assisted in creating the Soldiers National Cemetery. It is where Lincoln stayed the night before he delivered the Gettysburg Address, and it is believed where he finished the, the final touches on that speech. Uh, in addition to that, we have this amazing museum opening July 1 at the Seminary Ridge, which will feature some things that have never been discussed here in Gettysburg. We also have downtown walking tours that have come to light over the last few years, and the battlefields have been continuously restored to their 1863 appearance, so that when history buffs and, and others come to stand on the hallowed ground, they can see what the soldiers saw in July of 1863. You mentioned that one of the new attractions is the Seminary Ridge Museum, and as I understand, this museum is really going to take a look at what took place on the first day of battle and tell some stories about the Underground Railroad and other things that were taking place in and around Gettysburg. Talk to us about what visitors can expect to see at this new attraction. Well, and interestingly enough, while the attraction inside the walls is new, the building stood during July of 1863 as part of the seminary. It was the only building on the seminary campus for the students at the time, and it became a hospital during the battle. After day one, as people moved through, as the soldiers moved through town, hundreds of soldiers were treated in that building, and they have the stories and are able to tell the stories of some of the soldiers that actually were treated in that building. So you mm -hmm. will understand the medical aspect and what happened on July 1st and how that building was instrumental in that. It will talk about the U.S. color troops and about the, the faith-based things that occurred during the Civil mm -hmm. War to keep the spirits up of the soldiers and how that was so important. But the really special thing about that building is they will have cupola tours where you can go up and stand and look out across the battlefield and see what the soldiers saw as they stood and scouted during day one when the, the action was right in front of them. Gettysburg is really making a real effort to tell more of the story about the war. As, as you kind of touched on, uh, the new museum will uh, feature uh, about the colored soldiers who fought and uh, clearly the central role that slavery played in bringing about the war, the Underground Railroad and its place in Adams County. Uh, talk to us about the evolution of the history telling in Gettysburg in, in terms of some of these new tours and things that people can enjoy to really get a broader perspective and maybe learn about some of the untold history. There's various groups that have come to light that have allowed us to be able to tell these stories better. We have licensed town guides, we have downtown walking tour organizations, and we have a group called Gettysburg Historic Tours that are telling stories such as the civilians and the impact that it had on them and what, it, what they did during those days, not just of the battle, but during the aftermath and the cleanup and how they brought the town back together. We're hearing about the Underground Railroad Tour and how that actually moved up into northern Adams County 
places in the community that people may not have normally visited if they came and they took a battlefield tour years ago, understanding Mm -hmm. that full story of the community and how it all works together. There are stories and tours in the downtown that talk about our free black community. We had a few hundred free blacks here in Gettysburg. We are north of the Mason-Dixon line, and it was a place of safety, and they had prominent positions within the community. Some of our freed blacks actually were those that helped inter the bodies after the war. Mm. So there are these robust stories that talk about things beyond the military actions in Gettysburg. Mm -hmm. It it is an extension, and there has been an effort throughout the entire community to work together to tell all of the stories. Because if you only do a battlefield tour and understand the military aspects, you've only learned a sliver of the story. And the social implications are so important today because they're still relevant in what we deal with in terms of equalities and different groups of people that have come and become part of our culture and our society and how things really, while so much has changed, there are still underlying aspects that are very much the same even today in 2013. And I have to tell you, Stacey, uh, Tanya and I were fortunate on our trip to Gettysburg a few weeks ago to take the Underground Railroad tour just north of Gettysburg in uh, in the Yellow Hill community, as I recall, where we've got a, a great view of Little Round Top and Big Round Top, and uh, it was just just really remarkable to learn about about some of these stories. And so I encourage those who are coming and are just planning trips to Gettysburg to really think out of the box and really look at doing some of these other things that will just illuminate just the importance of the history and the people there during that time. Absolutely. From now until the first week of July, uh, Gettysburg is, is going to kick things off with a reflection of history commemoration. Talk to us about some of the events that are planned as part of this. Yes, and it it all kicks off June 28th, and it is a 10-day event activity. And we have two separate reenactments scheduled, one uh, on each weekend by two different groups that will reenact key battles. We also have skirmishes that will take place right in town at Seminary Ridge, right near where the new museum will open, and those are the first weekend as well. Throughout July 1st through 4th, the National Park Ranger programs will actually total nearly 200 programs in that four-day period. So it shows you what the park has done to really be able to tell some individual stories and really remarkable pieces that you may not have ever heard, even if you've done the ranger programs in the past. We have a parade scheduled for July 3rd. It's called our Independence Day Parade, and it's going to feature different aspects of time in Gettysburg not just the Civil War, but things including the fact that Eisenhower was very much a key part of our community for many years. And that evening we'll have fireworks at 10 o'clock as we get ready to uh, celebrate July 4th, uh, something that that we're very excited to see here in the community. We have an in-town reenactment at the Shriver House, which is a civilian museum that talks about the civilian story, and they will show how the soldiers took over that home in 1863 and what it did to that particular home and that family. We have an amazing park program that everyone that is here we encourage to take part in called Pickett's Charge, where they will actually have an opportunity to march across Pickett's Charge. The Union sides will be explained by rangers, and it will be a very moving experience to be part of that historic walk across that that hallowed ground. There are so many activities. There must be nearly 400 things to do, things to see and do and participate in during the time period. There will be a full medical triage event at the Daniel Lady Farm. 
just as there was medical triage there in July of 1863. Just amazing opportunities for people to see history come alive. And that's the biggest thing is the amount of living history that will be Mm -hmm. here. It will not just be watching things, but you will actually be part of the engaging experiences and really bringing you into that that experience that you just can't have anywhere else at any other time. How many people are you expecting to visit Gettysburg during this time? Over the course of 10 days, we're estimating about 200,000 to 300,000 people will come through our community. And for those who come, there are many transportation options to to get around, so if people want to park their car, they can do so. There's a wonderful uh, transit system and shuttle system that I understand is free. It is free, and we have expanded on those services during this 10-day period with additional shuttles being offered. We have major satellite locations at multiple places, and all of the maps and information can be found at our website, which is GettysburgCivilWar150.com. With so much going on in July, people may also be aware as well that in November we celebrate the 150th anniversary of Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, and there are a host of events planned around reflection of history, hope, and healing later this year. Give us a sense of what people can expect to see and do later this this year. Yes, November 19th is one of the key dates. That is the actual anniversary of the Gettysburg Address, and there will be a formal ceremony in the cemetery. We anticipate several thousand will want to be part of that as we honor the 150th anniversary of the address and of the dedication of that cemetery. That following weekend on Saturday, we have an amazing parade. It's our annual Remembrance Day parade, but we do anticipate it's going to be bigger than it's ever been because of the 150th. And that Saturday evening, the Gettysburg Foundation will host their Luminaria at the cemetery, which is absolutely breathtaking. If you haven't ever seen it, it it just takes... It takes that moment where you stop and you reflect on the fact that thousands gave their life so that this country could maintain its democracy and move forward as one united nation. Um, There's also wonderful musical performances scheduled, uh, so many Civil War balls that you won't be able to get to all of them. Hmm. Uh, Just a, a wonderful opportunity to interact with authors who have written about Lincoln and scholars and Wonderful living history engaged around Lincoln and the aftermath, special tours on Lincoln. Uh, these are things that we do similar each year, but this is going to be at a whole new level. There is so much more beyond the battlefields, not to in any way diminish that and that, that history. Gettysburg is really a family-friendly destination, uh, whether a person or a family is coming for a weekend or a week, it's really not possible to see it all. Give us a sense of some of the the breadth and the scope of the offerings that you have from the shopping, the antiques, to, to the small communities where uh, agritourism is alive and well, to a, a growing wine scene, or, scene there as well, uh, to even the cultural arts. We were able to take in a show during a uh, the summer stock season at the Totem Pole Playhouse, uh, not too far from Gettysburg. So there's really a lot to see and do there beyond the battlefield. There is. There is so much to see beyond the battlefield, and that's why we have such a high repeat visitation. Half of our visitors come back either multiple times a year or every year because you just can't do it all in one time. You have this amazing history product, and then you do. We have this growing wine industry because we have some of the best soil to grow grapes, and we've discovered it, and it's wonderful. 
For years, we have been known as the number one producer of apples in the state of Pennsylvania. We're number five in the country. People think about BC, about uh, Washington State. Well, Washington State just can't touch Adams County apples. But then you mix in our wine industry and the hard cider that they're able to make out of our local apples. We have three distinct wineries, and we have a wonderful wine and fruit trail that you can spend an entire week exploring that alone. And then the special events that we do, you talked about the totem pole. We have wonderful theaters, but in addition to those theaters that offer the staged performances and summer stock and throughout the year, we have amazing musical festivals. Twice a year we have a bluegrass festival that brings in the top names in bluegrass. We just came out of a 10-day arts culture festival called Gettysburg Festival, which features truly American art forms, everything from culinary to performance art. And a lot of what is offered during that is offered for free. And that's something that we are very proud of here in this community is there is so much you can see and do for free. And in these days and times, it's wonderful to be able to bring your family to a destination and have very robust experiences and not have to spend a lot of money every time you walk in a door. But if you do want to spend money, you mentioned the shopping and the antiques. Just about 20 minutes from Gettysburg is a small town called New Oxford, and it is known as the antique capital of south-central Pennsylvania. You can't look left or right without catching an antique shop. It is just a wonderful, you know, whole weekend filled of antiquing if you want to do it. it we are so lucky to, to be where we are, and our visitors are so lucky to have the opportunity to experience the festivals and the fairs and, and the antique shows and so much outdoor activity with golf courses and things. If you come here and you can't find something that absolutely just makes you want to race back for another trip, that then you took a nap while you were here. With so much going on this year, how easy will it be for visitors to find accommodations uh, in Gettysburg if they're planning to visit? Well, you know what? That's that's what we're here for at the Convention and Visitors Bureau, and we keep an updated listing of availability, especially for our big weekends. We've been tracking this 10-day commemoration, and for those people that, that want to still come, we do have some limited availability here in the market, as well as we work very closely with our surrounding communities because we're so close to so many destinations that we have availability, even listings in, in Frederick and York and Hershey and Harrisburg and, and Lancaster and different places to make sure that we can help our visitors find what they're looking for when they want to come. Now, I know you've been busy building up to the events uh, that are planned for the coming weeks. What are you looking forward to in terms of uh, getting a chance to participate in? Well, I'm definitely looking forward to the park event on June 30th. That's going to be a very special event over near Meade's headquarters, and then they're going to do a luminaria at the cemetery that evening. I'm also really looking forward to the Pickett's Charge event that I mentioned earlier. I just think that's very special. Uh, the 29th, they're also doing a rededication of the Eternal Light Peace Memorial. It's the 75th anniversary of that monument, and it's one of my favorite because it is a, a sign of unity in our country and it has the beautiful eternal flame that just shows that this country will continue to stand strong no matter what. Well, Stacy, you've given us so much to think about and look forward to over the coming weeks as we move into the 150th celebration of the uh, Battle of Gettysburg and the Gettysburg Address. Stacy Fox, the Vice President of Marketing and Sales for the Gettysburg Convention and Visitors Bureau, we thank you so much for being with us today on World Footprints. Thank you for having us. After the break, Professor Scott Hancock of Gettysburg College joins us for a provocative conversation about the seminal events that took place in Gettysburg 150 years ago that forever changed America. Because uh, freedom 
and ending slavery becomes an important part of what the North and the Union and Lincoln want to accomplish out of the war. The Battle of Gettysburg, I think, is, is critical and part of that process. Next, as World Footprints continues. Hi, this is James K. from Los Angeles, California. And I just want to say I've traveled all over the world. But whenever I come back home, I always tune in to World Footprints Radio. It's the Suffrage Wagon Centennial. Shoulder to shoulder, our ancestors marched to their vision of freedom. Let's tell their suffrage stories. Listen and thank them. We stand under our shoulders. Too. For more information, Suffrage Wagon News Channel. Suffrage Wagon. Hi, my name is Marcia Alexion, and I'm talking to you from Vancouver right now. I am originally from Brooklyn, New York. I've been living in Vancouver for about 20 years, and I love World Footprints Radio. And now, more of World Footprints Radio with your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to World Footprints. I'm Ian Fitzpatrick. This year marks the 150th anniversary of the American Civil War, and the biggest battle on American soil took place in Gettysburg. For three days from July 1st to July 3rd, 1863, 51,000 would be killed, wounded, captured, or never seen again, and the town of Gettysburg in America would never be the same. Gettysburg College professor of history and Africana studies Scott Hancock brings a unique perspective to the events that played out in Gettysburg in 1863 from the battle to President Lincoln's Gettysburg Address to the role the Underground Railroad played in bringing freedom to African Americans. Scott, welcome to World Footprints. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So much of what is being commemorated with the sesquicentennial of the Battle of Gettysburg and the Civil War is focused on the three days of a war that forever changed America. But the anniversary also provides an opportunity to shed some light on some of the important events and moments that led to the war, like the Underground Railroad, which really marked a repudiation by African Americans of slavery and the economic system built upon it. Give us some perspective on the importance of the Underground Railroad and the events that played out in the Civil War. Well, the Underground Railroad is uh, is something that evolves over several decades, uh, starting uh, slaves are always running away, even before the United States is a country, but it begins to take a little more coherent and cohesive shape in the 1820s and on, especially uh, when white allies begin to get involved, although the free black towns in the north are always critical. Uh, but they're always the, the number of slaves who escape to freedom are a very small percentage of slaves, uh, just a couple, a few percent at most. And what has always struck me is that kind of disproportionate response of white Americans, particularly white slave owners and white Southerners, who get very bent out of shape because economically, if they had let all of the runaway slaves who are trying to escape to freedom go, it really would not have damaged slavery economically. It would have hummed along just fine. Uh, so the response in some ways doesn't match the, the economic threat of these slaves running away. Uh, but they do get very bent out of shape, and, and part of what I argue in some of my research is that 
escaping slaves are one, not the only by any stretch, but one of the key reasons why the North and South become uh, more and more antagonistic toward one another and push the country to civil war. Was slavery getting to a place because of industrialization and other technological changes that were really making it become dated in, in, in terms of a way of building and creating great fortunes in the United States? Uh, not on the eve of the Civil War, and that was something historians uh, along 50 years ago or more, for a while there was uh, the argument that slavery was actually becoming economically a liability and that it would have, it was dying out anyway, but a lot of research has been done over the, the last several decades, and they found that actually slavery was serving the southern states quite well, and for that matter, the northern states too, I mean, as as probably you and many of your listeners know, if you go into many of those towns in Massachusetts or in New England and those big brick uh, mill buildings that are still standing, those are textile mills that are using southern cotton, and so northern industry is profiting quite well from slave labor as well. Uh, so on, on the brink of the Civil War, economically, slavery is very healthy. And some historians would argue actually healthier than it ever had been. I think the richest or one of the richest counties in the United States was Adams County, Mississippi. Uh, And so there's no sign that it was withering on the vine by any stretch. Give the audience a sense of what African Americans faced in places like South Central Pennsylvania towards the time of the war around 1860, 1863, and some of those battles that were taking place over freedom there. Yeah, that's an important point. And in fact, there's a, a guy named Keith Griffler who wrote a book a few years ago called uh, The Frontline of Freedom. And Stanley Harold has written a book uh, more recently called Border Wars. And, and they, in many ways, argue that <clears throat> you've got these uh, battles along the border states and places like get around Gettysburg, you know, out west along the Ohio River as well. Uh, that are in some ways almost a precursor to the Civil War because these battles are literally some violent sometimes battles you know, where guns are being fired, people are being killed uh, as southern slave owners or their slave catchers are trying to catch these, these black men and women who are escaping. And, and one brief digression, there, there are a lot of slaves who ran away in the South for trying to get away for a few days or go see... Uh, family or friends um, or get away from punishment, the number of people who actually try to run away to freedom, I call them escaping slaves because they're not simply running away, they're trying to escape slavery altogether. So those escaping slaves uh, face a lot of risk and often don't stay very long in places like Gettysburg because it's so close Mm -hmm. to the border and places Gettysburg for instance uh, another uh, David Smith has written a book talking about how the 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 business interest in places like Gettysburg had a lot of ties to uh, business and industry and merchants just across the board the Mason-Dixon line and so they're not you have a very mixed reaction you have some people who are very anti-slavery but not interested in helping escaping slaves Uh, You've got some people who have no interest in anti-slavery, and then you have some others, a small minority of white Gettysburgians as well as the black Gettysburgians who lived in town who absolutely want to help these men and women escape. There was a a custodian who worked at Gettysburg College named Jack Hopkins that was involved in 
the Underground Railroad and a black church in town, uh, AME Zion, that helped as well. And so they're very conscious of the fact that being so close to the border, uh, if people escape, they're at great risk to be caught and taken back. And sometimes even free black residents who are born and raised in Gettysburg or north of the border are caught by slave catchers and taken back illegally into the south, which we know that the Confederate Army took a lot of people from uh, this area and Greencastle uh, when they went, retreated back across the border. So it's, it's a precarious endeavor, absolutely, for African-Americans, uh, whether they were born here or whether they've run away and are hoping to be moved further north into New York or northern Pennsylvania or even Canada. That's really part of this compelling backstory that we don't often hear about, particularly as, as we focus on the uh, heroism and the battle itself. And, and so I think it's great that you've had a chance to illuminate that for our audience. You wrote a piece in the Huffington Post, which I highly recommend, on the Emancipation Proclamation and its tie to MLK's uh, I Have a Dream speech. And you describe it the Battle of Gettysburg and the Gettysburg Address is three of the seminal events of the Civil War, two of which took place there in Gettysburg that really helped to give rise to this new birth of freedom that's culminated some hundred years later in MLK's speech. Explain the importance of these events and the line that kind of runs through them all and ties them together. Okay, well, the, you know, the battle here, which understandably gets most of the attention, uh, and all the military historians may debate to what extent it was actually the turning point of the war, but it nonetheless was clearly an important battle. And, and because uh, freedom and ending slavery becomes an important part of what the North and the Union and Lincoln want to accomplish out of the war, the Battle of Gettysburg, I think, is, is critical and part of that process. And I'm, I'm, I'm not a Lincoln expert, but... I think part of the reason why Lincoln comes here and makes this speech is because he recognizes that. And for Abraham Lincoln, even though there may be debates about whether the Emancipation Proclamation was a pragmatic military measure or a culmination of his ideals and aspirations or some mix of the both, uh, I think he recognizes when he gives the Gettysburg Address that the war has started to turn in the direction where, you, where the end of slavery is going to be a reality. And I, I don't think Lincoln would have ever compromised on that in any way. Uh, however, you know, having said that, and part of what I address in that, that article in the Huffington Post is you know, that legal freedom that the Emancipation Proclamation and the 13th Amendment grant and the winning of the Civil War you know, is in many ways very limited freedom if there aren't other kinds of freedoms that come along with it. Uh, and, and as we know, with when Jim, uh, Jim Crow begins in the 1880s and 1890s and you get a very oppressive racial uh, domination, particularly in the South, African Americans and many others would have called it a, a kind of second slavery, uh, even though it, I would argue it's not wasn't the same as slavery. But you get some pretty oppressive legal systems and labor regimes that were much like slavery. And so King's speech, I think, recognizes that there's going to be another significant shift. You know, the tragedy is it takes 100 years. But also, I, I think it's easy for us to lull ourselves into seeing the civil rights movement and King's speech as sort of the high watermark of that as 
as the new birth of freedom finally being accomplished. And as I argue, I, I don't think we're there yet. We're certainly closer than we were 50 years ago or 150 years ago, but I think we've got a long ways to go to accomplish everything that the new birth of freedom should have meant. Along the lines of the new birth and kind of putting into context Gettysburg, the history that took place there, clearly those events changed the course of America in many ways the world, but even though this is part of America's history, it doesn't necessarily seem to be shared by all Americans. And I say this because Tanya and I were recently in Gettysburg as uh, we were doing background and preparation for this show on Gettysburg, and we had many opportunities to see and hear firsthand about the contributions of African Americans from the battlefield to the role the Underground Railroad played in shaping uh, parts of Adams County, uh, the apple farms just uh, north of Gettysburg, where many stayed. But I didn't really see many African-American families and children there on many of the tours. Am, Am I missing something? Is there any pause for concern that perhaps this history is not being appreciated amongst the various people who make up our nation today? I think the, I mean, you're right, the number of black tourists here are minuscule, although, and this is purely anecdotal, it seems to me I see more uh, black tourists here than I did 10 years ago, but that's, but it's still a very small number, and I have, you know, that, like I said, that's purely just my perspective, Uh, but uh, I think part of it is because the southern the story of the South is a big part of that, and when the story of the South and the Confederacy gets told, usually the story of slaves and, and African Americans and their experience gets left out. The National Park Service, they're very aware of this, mm-hmm. and they actually, the new visitor center here, they have done an excellent job retelling that story, and if you go to the museum at the new visitor center, and I'm, I'm not, I have no connection with this, so I'm not plugging for, <laughs> for it to go, but I'm just impressed with how they make very clear that the reason the Civil War was fought was slavery. It wasn't mm-hmm. states' rights. It wasn't this other stuff that people will try to, that are euphemisms, I think, for ultimately. It was about the, the ability of people to own black men and women and their children. Uh, and that's why this, that was the primary cause, the central cause of the Civil War. And, and they make that very clear. So I think there's, that may be changing somewhat. However, uh, it's going to be an uphill battle. And, and some of the things that perhaps create they could do creatively is thinking about things like these escaping slaves, these men and women who decide to escape uh, because the mountains on the to the west of Gettysburg uh, are the mountains and valleys that they often use to navigate mm-hmm. north mm-hmm. and and find some of these small black communities and their white allies to help them uh, get to safety and so the landscape around here is very much a part of this story, uh, but there are ways that perhaps it could all be woven together. So they tell they tell the mil- the story of the military, the battle, because obviously that's crucial. But they also tell these other kind of stories that would make it the kind of history that you're talking about, where we're, we we are all connected to it. Thank you for pointing out just how how the story is changing in terms of pointing out some of these points of african-american participation and having that as part of the storytelling even at the visitors center which is fantastic they have a wonderful 
film that's narrated by Morgan Freeman, so clearly yeah. the outreach is being made, and I think that that the Park Service has done a wonderful job in trying to push that forward. As we wrap up here, Scott, I just want to ask you um, about Gettysburg and its relevance, particularly today in contemporary times where we often hear about how divided our country is politically, uh, red states and blue states, and how important is the history of Gettysburg and what took place there? important for us today, even as we look at some of these deep political chasms, even in 1863, but this country has survived. Yeah, Uh, it's a great question. Uh, (laughs) That's a deep question. (laughs) I mean, in some ways, I think Gettysburg shows, I guess in my opinion, Gettysburg shows us that when we hear all of this talk today about how polarized we are, we're nowhere near as polarized as we were in 1860 or 1863. Mm -hmm. We're not killing each other uh, by the tens and hundreds of thousands. And and so often I think this talk of polarization gets exaggerated. And Mm -hmm. again, in my opinion, uh, but that's not to to, uh, ignore that we've got significant divisions. But I think the Civil War, in some ways paradoxically demonstrates that the Constitution works uh, because the Union stayed together, because we had people who were faithful to it, to its ideals. Uh, Although some historians would again argue, well, did Lincoln violate the Constitution in different ways? But but it also demonstrates what happens when we don't adhere to the, the kind of system of compromise that the Constitution was supposed to be about, uh, because uh, with if that system breaks down, then uh, I suppose anything is possible. And, and I don't think we're anywhere near the, our, our Republican democracy falling apart and breaking down like it did in 1861. Um, but there is, uh, here at the college and other places, an effort to kind of understand Gettysburg and the Civil War in terms of civil wars internationally and globally throughout history and, and how civil war happens and what can we do to prevent that. Mm-hmm. So you know, hopefully we this sesquicentennial, we take some lessons from that. But. And on that note, Scott, we uh, thank you for the encouragement that you shared with us to make our way out to uh, Gettysburg, either during uh, the time of the sesquicentennial celebrations or any time, really, to uh, see Gettysburg. Scott Hancock, professor at Gettysburg College, we thank you for being with us on today's World Footprints. Well, thank you. It's a great show you have. When we return, we'll travel the Underground Railroad just outside Gettysburg with Deborah Sando McCausland to learn about the African-American history in the area and the role Quakers played in the abolitionist movement. Cyrus paid $100 to help Kitty Payne get defended in Virginia court after she was kidnapped from Bear Mountain in 1845. Kitty had been a slave in Virginia, manumitted by her owner, lived here freely for two years, Five men kidnapped her and her three children in the middle of the night. Next, as World Footprints continues. Hey, this is Amy. I'm from Manitoba. Woo, Manitoba. I love listening to World Footprints Radio. Rocks my socks. 
Visit the Galapagos Islands, meet polar bears in Canada, sip wine in northern Italy, explore the Hawaiian Islands aboard a luxury yacht, and stand face-to-face with China's terracotta soldiers. Explore the world on a journey of a lifetime with World Footprints Discovery Tours. These tours give a unique view of the world in an intimate, small group setting with the freedom to immerse yourself in local culture, learn, and make new friends along the way. Book early and save. Visit worldfootprints.com and look for Discovery Tours to begin your next adventure today. Hi, I'm Johannes from Pretoria, Gauteng in South Africa. I love listening to you and I want you to support Ian Antonia at World Footprint Radio. It is exciting. You're listening to World Footprints Radio, awarded as the best travel audio podcast by the North American Travel Journalists Association. Here's Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to World Footprints. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. Historian and author Deborah Sando McCausland has deep roots in the Gettysburg and Adams County areas. If you get a chance to visit her in Biglerville, just north of Gettysburg, she'll share stories from one of her many tours of the people and places of the battle, the Underground Railroad, and the African-American and Quaker communities whose voices she brings to life. But first, let's introduce you to Deborah and enjoy some of her Gettysburg stories. Well, I was born in Gettysburg in 1960. And I grew up there, lived there my whole life, didn't know that I was related to the first soldier killed at Gettysburg. This is George Washington Sando. My name growing up was Deb Sando. I was born in Gettysburg but didn't know about him, so I wanted to delve into his history and learn as much as I could. He was in Robert Bell's Independent Cavalry Company B. He enlisted the 23rd of June, 1863, and was killed on the 26th of June, 1863. His bride, Diana, received a pension. Uh, I think she got $12 a month, uh, but it was enough to feed her, to sustain her and her young son. Uh, It's believed that she had a son and named him Charles Grant. Now, George was 20 years old when he met his early death. Confederates came to Gettysburg June 26th. I tell his story using the ladies' diaries. They all talk about the fear that the people of Gettysburg had when the rebels invaded. And they mentioned the darkies are skedaddling. When I researched George's death on June 26th, Some of the women were saying in their diaries about the black citizens fleeing the the area and the fear that they had. Confederates coming to your town meant a death sentence for some of these free Negroes. They knew they were taking them off the streets as contraband of war in Chambersburg and Waynesboro. We read about that in Gettysburg newspapers. Now, I recently learned through this picture that my great-grandfather and great-great-grandfather We're picking apples with these Quakers that I'm talking about on this Underground Railroad tour. I grew up as a Methodist. I'm a converted Quaker. uh, But this picture was recently given to me. Uh, Ralph Sando, Henry P. Sando, and among here are some uh, relatives of some of these Quakers who were freedom fighters in the Underground Railroad. This was probably taken uh, in the late 1800s, we believe. And again, I wrote this book on Yellow Hill. Basically, Yellow Hill, I believe, is named that. It was Pine Hill. Yellow is a term to define uh, folks of mixed race, yellow or high yellow. The song, The Yellow Rose of Texas, is about a brown-skinned woman. And uh, this was Pine Hill. Uh, But the mulatto people... And when I look at the census... It appears that Ed Matthews got lighter and darker through the years. It really didn't happen. It was just the opinion of the census taker. One year he was black, 
another decade later, he was mulatto. Uh, but that is what I looked for, and it tells us where they lived, who they lived by. Some of them were illiterate. We know uh, a little bit about their occupations and the value of their property. But the Matthews family were definitely the benefactors of Yellow Hill. Yellow Hill, home of the Matthews family that Deborah mentions, is central to her story about an almost forgotten community. We're coming up about eight miles north of Gettysburg to Yellow Hill. Yellow Hill is where a pre-Civil War free African-American community existed. And there were about 100 free Negroes that lived on Yellow Hill. Formerly, it had been called Pine Hill. We believe the benefactor of the Yellow Hill church lot and cemetery was Edward Matthews. He and his wife, Annie, moved here and purchased property in 1842. $350 got him 16 acres, and he gave part of his personal property for the community to have a church lot where they could bury the dead and worship the Lord. The church that was here on Yellow Hill was consecrated in 1869, according to the newspaper, and it's believed that it was burned down in the 1890s by three white local men, according to the local lore. No one was ever prosecuted for the church burning, but the church has been here, we believe, for decades prior to the 1890s. We heard that evangelical camp meetings were held here in the 1840s as a Quaker man from the valley below in the Quaker Valley put in his diary. They attended Negro camp meetings on Yellow Hill in 1843 and again in 1842 and 1843. Now from where we are now, we are going to point the car in the direction south and what we see from Yellow Hill about 10 miles away is Big Round Top. Mm-hmm. So we are about 8 miles from Big Round Top, and we about 8 to 9 miles below that is the Mason-Dixon line. And that's what we think about Ed Matthews. He came here as a free Negro, and he lived directly on the other side of the Mason-Dixon line. He lived in Carroll County, Maryland, where there was also a community of Quakers at Pipe Creek meeting Carroll County, Maryland. And those Quakers there met with Quakers on this side of the Mason-Dixon line. Manalan friends in Adams County, Pennsylvania met four times per year in their quarterly meetings with folks that also were attending Pipe Creek Meeting. In Pipe Creek Meeting and their cemetery are Quakers buried by the name of Matthews. Ed Matthews spells his name with one T as those Quakers buried in that cemetery do as well. Often, slaves would take the surname of their owners. Quakers were the first organized religion to make it mandatory that their members not own slaves. So it's my belief that the Matthews had been enslaved by Quakers in Pike Creek, Maryland. They were given their freedom. They moved here primarily because there were laws in the southern states that you couldn't stay if you were free and you couldn't educate your children. So it's my belief that Ed and Annie moved up here with their one son, Sam, who had been born in Maryland and had 11 more kids up here in Pennsylvania. They educated those children and three of their sons left Yellow Hill and enlisted in Company I of the 127th U.S. Colored Troops Regiment after their oldest son, Sam, was drafted. So this site, what's left, are about 20 graves. Most of the burials here have been removed, taken to other cemeteries, both the veterans. The soldiers are both removed from here. William Matthews was 15 years old when he went with his brother in the Civil War when his brother was drafted. He survived, but he was shot in the right leg. He had lung problems and died in his early 40s, was buried here 
buried here in 1891. Ed Matthews was buried here in the 1870s. Both those men were taken to Lincoln Cemetery in Gettysburg. And Charles Parker, the other veteran, was in Company F of the 3rd Regiment USCT. His body was taken in 1936 to the National Cemetery, where President Lincoln said, all men are created equal. There are only two black men from the American Civil War buried there at the National Cemetery among thousands of white Union soldiers. But this site, we believe, was uh, his, is historic. Its uh, existence is very long. This was the heart and soul of the black community. A farmer in the valley below um, told his daughter-in-law in the early 1900s, and she told me that he remembered free Negroes coming over his property to come up here to worship the Lord at their church that had been here. The Matthews family was here from the 1830s through the 1890s. This is also where some of Gettysburg's free Negroes fled when the Confederate invasion occurred in June of 1863. But the Confederates were also in these hills confiscating goods from these local farmers in late June and early July of 1863. The history of Yellow Hill is full of stories of Quaker abolitionists and African Americans seeking freedom through extraordinary means. As we learn about a Quaker abolitionist named Cyrus Grist and a free black woman named Kitty Payne who was kidnapped in an effort to put her back into slavery. Cyrus paid a hundred dollars to help Kitty Payne get defended in Virginia court after she was kidnapped from Bear Mountain in 1845. Kitty had been a slave in Virginia, manumitted by her owner, lived here freely for two years. Five men kidnapped her and her three children in the middle of the night out of their slumber at gunpoint and knife point. Merely for the color of their skin, the whole kidnapping was arranged by the nephew of those that had enslaved her. The Maddox family in Virginia had owned Kitty, and Mr. Sam Maddox was also Kitty's father. Mrs. Mary Maddox favored Kitty, but uh, also said that Kitty's mother had to go and was removed from the farm shortly after Kitty's birth. Kitty was raised there by Mary Maddox on the farm as a house slave, not a field slave. She was allowed to marry, had four children. Mary Maddox manumitted her after Sam Maddox died. And it seemed as though Mary had a little bit of favoritism to her. And Kitty named one of her children, Mary, after her stepmother and slave owner. Kitty is living here freely. The nephew of the Maddoxes arranged the kidnapping. The uncle's will said, on my property goes to my wife Mary to do and use as she should see fit during her natural life. Whatever's left goes to my nephew, Samuel Maddox Jr. He thought he should inherit the slaves, even though she gave him the 111-acre farm for $1. The greedy nephew had used those slaves as collateral on his bad debts. So he hired a professional kidnapper, Tom Finnegan of Hagerstown, Maryland, and three other men, and they kidnapped Kitty. They took her to Virginia. They wanted to sell her and her children on the auction block. But white folks got in the middle of it. Quakers in Virginia aided Cyrus Grace here in getting an attorney to defend her and a judge to hear her case in Virginia, which was an amazing thing. She was a Negro woman in Virginia, suing for $1,000 assault and battery against that nephew, Sam Maddox Jr., and she was able to be heard in court. It was a lengthy ordeal. It didn't go well. Seven of the 12 jurors, the men on the jury, were slave owners. The judge, in fact, was a slave owner. They didn't rule in her favor. They denied her $1,000 damages, even 
if she would have won and changed that to one cent. She did not win. There was an appeal. It dragged on and on in Virginia. Kitty and her children were in the Rappahannock County Jail for over 300 days. Finally, one day in open court, the nephew said, it's over. I give up. The jailer was billing the nephew the cost to feed Kitty and the children in jail, and he was paying an attorney, paying the kidnappers, now paying to feed her, and he didn't have the benefit of her labor or the children's. So he gave it up. Quakers in Virginia returned her here. But she was penniless, afraid to live alone, placed her three children with two of them with Quaker families here, one with a Presbyterian family near Hunterstown. Married Abraham Bryan in Gettysburg. He was a free Negro and a property owner. She took care of his kids, but he wouldn't let her bring her three children there to live. She gave him a son, William, and a daughter, Frances, but she died of sadness August 12, 1850. Her daughter, Frances, married a man that she met at a Gettysburg reunion who had been a Confederate cook at Gettysburg, a Negro man who was at Gettysburg. And you don't hear a lot about the African-American presence at Gettysburg, but it's believed that there were thousands of Teamsters and laborers who were men of color who were participating in both armies. Three mulattoes disguised as as white also serving in the armies, and there were also servants and slaves of officers present at Gettysburg. So that's the story of Kitty Payne. Outside of Pennsylvania and the eastern United States, the Quaker community remains a mystery to some. As we learned from Deborah, their values were essential in bringing forth freedom in what can be described as the first American civil rights movement. Who are these people? Seekers of the truth, Quakers are friends, or members of the Religious Society of Friends. Today, the word religious has been stricken. It's just the Society of Friends. We believe God is present in every person, and peace is preferable to war. And we don't have any formal creed or rituals, liturgies. We don't recite things. We don't sing. Instead, we start our meetings with a query. We strive to trust the love. We ask ourselves a question. The question may be, at the beginning of the meeting proposed, by our clerk may say, do you, when you leave the meeting house, treat everyone in the community with respect? Mm. And uh, are you tolerant in society, understanding people's beliefs and trying to be respectful and accepting? And so we can ponder that or have our own thoughts. But we strive to trust to love rather than react to fear. We work towards peace because we think it's the only way. Main point here, we are led to implement our concerns for the equal rights of all. Manifests have been drawn to this Quakerism because of its dual commitment, spiritual awareness and social action. And I say spiritual awareness in the meeting house, social action 24-7 when you're out in the world. And it just mentions that you're always welcome here. So I am so sorry. I cannot take you in there. But when we do, uh, we sit down and I talk to you about some of the things I've collected to know a little bit about what happened here. The slave ads, uh, one of the uh, slave ads in the newspaper, and they're just heart-wrenching. And I found literally hundreds of these. It gives the reward for the slave a description. Never are these descriptions kind or, you know, has a very large scar. I've read, takes to the drink, a bold liar, Mm -hmm. has a down look. You said we can't make eye contact, and then you complain he has a down look. 
And the rewards were anywhere from three cents to three hundred dollars, depending on the age and the skills of the slave. This one, David Kephart lost a slave from Pipe Creek, Maryland. Oh, what else is there? A Quaker meeting and a black community next to it. Mm-hmm. And he lost the slave. Hmm. I wonder how that happened. But this one's the heart wrencher. A runaway Negro was committed to the jail in Gettysburg, Adams County. A Negro man by the name of Charles with an iron collar about his neck says he is a slave in the property of William Campbell of Lexington, Kentucky, and he ran away about the 1st of August last. His master is desired to come and take him away. Otherwise, he will be discharged. 1803, John Murphy was Adams County's jailer. This man walked from Kentucky with an iron collar around his neck, only to be found, interrogated, and the jailer puts this ad in the paper. Come get him, otherwise we're going to let him go. We have no idea whatever happened. This is the newspaper, 1820, when the Manalan Township here at the Manalan Friends Meeting, uh, Manalan Friends, Friends Meeting House... At Manalan Township, they formed a society to protect the sable descendants of Africa from being unlawfully held and dragged into bondage. Mm-hmm. After uh, free communication, it was uh, sentiment that slavery is inconsistent with the principles of Christianity. They go on to complain about it, it has a bad effect on this boasted land of liberty. We got to be pers- have perseverance. We got to eradicate it from its baneful influence from our borders. They also say that they formed the Adams County Protection Society. The object is not to interfere between masters and slaves, but to use proper means to prevent kidnappings. Such colored persons, as you may have ample ground to believe, are by law entitled to freedom from being violently dragged and seized into bondage from slaveholders and sole drivers from the adjacent South. One of the men who escaped on his own, sometimes... These uh, runaways ran on their own, and sometimes they were escorted from one safe house to the next. A guy who ran on his own was a slave from Hagerstown, Maryland, named James Pembroke. When he got his freedom, he changed his name to James W.C. Pennington. He was at the William and Phoebe Wright House, cousins of Cyrus Christ, Mm -hmm. in York Springs, about eight miles from here. He was there with them for about six months. They taught him to read and write. Mm -hmm. He later wrote a book called The Fugitive Blacksmith. He talks about going to the home of P.W. and W.W. and how he came in there. He found out, wanted to know if he was in Pennsylvania, and he asked a woman where he might get a job. She said, go to William Wright's house. He stood at the door. He finally knocked. They opened the door, and it was breakfast time, a comfortably spread table. He was starving. And so he said, might I get a job here? And Mr. Wright said, come in. Take thy breakfast and get warm. Those words spoken by a stranger with such an air of simple sincerity and fatherly kindness made an overwhelming impression upon my mind. I was a starving fugitive without a friend or a home, a reward offered in the papers. Um, No claim upon him to whose door I went. Had uh, he turned me away, I must have perished. Nay, he gave me his own garments. He gave me food. Such treatment I had never before received at the hands of any white man. These words were written by somebody who learned English, learned to read, learned to write. He became a Presbyterian minister in New York City. One of the members of his congregation was to be married. He said, I'm taking a bride. Anna Murray and I will be married. Anna Murray married Frederick Douglass. James W.C. Pennington performed his marriage ceremony. Pennington led the first streetcar boycott in New York City. Rosa Parks wasn't the first. Pennington did it 100 years before New York City. He received honorary degrees from Heidelberg University. 
Incredible man, incredible man. And um, he said he wrote this book because he was tired of hearing about good Christian masters and the mildest forms of slavery. Mm -hmm. You want to know what slavery's like? Ask a slave. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope we've encouraged you to explore Gettysburg and American history during the 150th anniversary of the Civil War. If you want more of World Footprints Radio, including our World Footprints Travel Report, giving you daily breaking travel news, visit us at worldfootprints.com. While there, explore our World Footprints Discovery Tours for a journey of a lifetime to some of the most remarkable places on the planet. Also, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter or follow us on your favorite social network. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we wish you blue skies and purposeful travel that leaves positive footprints one step at a time. Hi, guys. My name is Sandy Best, the Sandy Best from Lake Louise. Where's Lake Louise? It's in Alberta. Alberta's in Canada, Banff National Park natural beauty the only place you should go with is world footprints radio because they spend their time looking at those special places that are not tourist traps there are not thousands of people for the best on the planet go with world footprints radio this has been a presentation of world footprints media all rights reserved